Hi, it's Hal Anderson. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and also rate the podcast really high, if you don't mind. Coming up, Brian Dedeshat from Credit Aid. Canadians are starting to pull back as interest rates go up. Brian knows all about that. We'll talk to him. Also on the way, Cyrus Dirksen. They are starting to use virtual reality to treat people for their fear of heights. We'll talk to Dr. Cyrus about that. And a little fun, the new Mission Impossible movie is in theaters this weekend. One of the couch potatoes, Jeff Braun, will be here. And a tune about it from Muchos Kilos, me, Shaner, and Timmy, my band of big guys. Now, the podcast. All right, we're going to talk with Brian Denishuk at Credit Aid right now about a story that you've been hearing about on CJOB today. Manulife is out with a new report. It says Canadians are being more prudent as interest rates inch higher. The head of Manulife Bank, Rick Lunny, says there are still concerns. It shows 60% of Canadians have changed their behavior by cutting back on spending on extras and essentials, and 17% are putting more money into savings accounts. 40% of respondents say their level of indebtedness has a negative impact on their mental health, and 30% say debt is causing issues in their personal relationships. Brian, over there at Credit Aid, all this rings a bell with you, I'm sure. It does ring a bell with me, Hal. It's something that I see each and every day with so many Canadians and Manitobans specifically. You know, one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you about um, is a person's mortgage. You know, when interest rates start to creep up like this, they say over over years that your variable or your floating interest rate is, is your best bet. When, But when interest rates start to go higher, at some point, a lot of people like to lock in. Do you guys give advice on stuff like that at Credit Aid? I guess it probably depends on the individual, eh? It, it really depends on the individual, and that's really hard advice to give because you would need that crystal ball, Hal, to mm-hmm. say, we know exactly how much rates are going to go up and when. I think it's something that each and every individual has to look at and say, where am I comfortable with, with respect to that mortgage payment? Am I comfortable with paying this interest rate? Or can I handle a 2% jump? And if I can't handle it, then I better lock it in so that I protect myself. Because if you're going to stay up at night worrying about it all the time, then I say lock it in. Yeah, and locking it in allows you to budget, right? It says, okay, here's my max. That's what I'm going to pay for my house every month. And what you guys do at Credit Aid is so much about budgeting, isn't it? It's all about budgeting. It's really, you know, developing that plan, that spending plan, so that we really truly know where our money's going. Because if we don't have a spending plan, our money's going to disappear, and it's critical. We really, really need to pay attention to that. Because if we don't and our money disappears, then we're into, just like the article says, all kinds of financial stress. That affects our, our mental capacity. If we're constantly thinking about debt stress, it impacts our relationships. It impacts our ability to work. It impacts so many different things in our life, our total wellness. If we've been having debt stress for 10 years, what is it doing to our internal organs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and the numbers and the numbers in this story today from Manulife Bank, forty percent of respondents say that their indebtedness is a negative impact on their mental health. Thirty percent say that their debt is causing issues in their personal relationships. Those numbers actually, to me, seemed low. 
I think those numbers are low, to be honest with you, because I typically, I do lots of lecturing on financial wellness, and when I'm lecturing at some of the PD days with the teachers, I show this great little video that shows the typical Canadian, and it says 60% of Canadians are basically struggling, and they're in debt, and this is what their life looks like. When I ask the teachers, what do you think of that number, they all tell me it's too low. They said, Brian, that number's probably closer to 70% from what they're feeling and seeing in society today. Mm. You know, when I went to school in, in high school in the late 70s and early 80s, I think the closest I ever got to anything like this, budgeting or, you know, budgeting a household, was we had an accounting class, and it didn't really do that. Has it changed? I'm, I'm in my early 50s, so I'm kind of an old dog. Are they trying to teach new tricks to the kids now? Not really, Hal. I mean, if you take consumer math, you're going to get a little bit on budgeting, but we have not built it into the total curriculum within the school system. Mm. We've fallen behind a little bit here in Manitoba. I do see some teachers taking a personal interest and going the extra mile and putting some of this into their curriculum, but they're doing it on their own. And uh, so, I mean, that's where often you get the call at Credit Aid, right? People get so far in, there's no way out, and they call you to help them. But I, I think the good news here is that with help from an organization like yours, Brian, Credit Aid, you can get out of most of these problems, can't you? There is always a solution to debt problems, and that's really why we're this specialist. You know, we're, I, I say we're the financial doctor. We will, you will leave this office with a solution. Sometimes you won't like what you hear, but there's always a solution. But the first step is you've got to be brave enough to come in to sit down to help. Let us help you. Let us look at your finances and map it out. You're going to leave here with a budget. You're going to know exactly where we think your money is going. You're going to walk out of here with some tools on how to track your money. And it's really transitioning our thinking into a save-to-spend mentality, not a buy-now-pay-later like society has been driven to. So if we save-to-spend, and and it's, you know, if we want a couch, look, go find out how much it's going to be. If it's $1,200, then save $100 a month, put it in your savings account, and then act like a true Manitoban. What does that mean? That means you're going to go shopping, you're going to find a bargain, you're going to, you're going to actually find it on sale, and you're going to pay way less than that $1,200. Yeah, I sort of learned uh, my uh, frugal ways, I'll put it that way. I learned my frugal ways from my dad. My dad, if he didn't have the cash in hand and they didn't do layaway, he didn't buy it. It was that simple. And that's where we need to go back to. You know, we don't have the cash, we don't buy it. So it's much tougher on the new generations coming up. Access to credit is easy. And coupled with that, I mean, we do run into lots of unfortunate circumstances where people are losing their job. Mm. Then what? Yeah. You know, if we don't have two to three months saved in that emergency savings account, it's a tough go. Yeah. Well, and I think people or a lot of people spend as though that job and that salary level is always going to be there. And then you're right. When you get tossed a curveball, you don't have that three months tucked away and you're living at this level. And all of a sudden you have this level of cash coming in, if any. Exactly. And, And if you look at the average Canadian as well, they're spending more than they actually make. In, in their normal work day, they're using their line of credit like a third paycheck. Yeah. And what they forget is they need to pay that back. Right. And so the lines of credit, which the banks all, you know, when, the whole art is how do I buy money? 
And when you're going to the bank, you're going there to buy money. So you've got to know what you're going to buy. Because if you let the banker sell you all the money you're going to, they can, you're probably going to be in trouble. Well, and, and you think, well, money's cheap. You know, yeah, I've got a line of credit. I'll put that, blah, 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 blah. And then the next thing you know, rates start to go up. And now that $150 a month payment is 200 and then 250 and you can't afford it. And your mortgage is going up and the car, you know, I mean, it just, it starts to snowball, doesn't it? It totally does. And so that's why you've got to stop. You've got to draw that line in the sand. And you've got to take action. The sooner you take action, the sooner you're going to find a solution. Because, like I said, there is always a solution. And we need help. We need to be able to say, I'm willing to ask for help. And, you know, with this story today saying 60% of Canadians have changed their behavior when it comes to money and cutting back and stuff like that, I think that's great. But I almost think it might be a little too late in a sense. Absolutely. Uh, You know, but you know what? The positive part is they're starting to take action. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you've got to start at some point in time, and you've got to start by cutting some things out. You've got to start looking at it and saying, I am actually going to spend less money than I make this month. Yeah. And I'm going to track my spending. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't track and you have track it properly, you don't know where it's going. We don't have to get complicated with all kinds of different programs. You know, go back to your transaction register. Remember those things that used to come with a checkbook? Mm-hmm. I used to call, I call those still the mini budget. Yeah, I, I still use them today. You can actually get a similar version for your iPhone. And so it's a matter of, you know, putting in there right away when money comes out of that account, what's coming out? The first thing that should come out is the money that you need to save every month. Then you're going to indicate and, you know, put in all the pre-authorized debits so you actually know how much true cash you have. Mm-hmm. Because if we look, you know, a lot of people say, well, I just look at the balance in my bank account. We don't know if pre-authorized debits have cleared we don't know what has or hasn't come out. And so we need to be very careful because then we end up being overdrawn. And what are we paying? 18% on an overdraft these yeah, days? Yeah. And if, we're, if, you know, if you have an NSF pre-authorized debit, you know, it's 45 bucks for a returned item these days. Mm-hmm. And, and you make a good point it, with the technology and the apps and all that stuff now. Keeping track is much easier now than it used to be in some ways, so we should take advantage of that. We're right out of time, Brian, and, and thank you for being uh, such a, a good client here at CJOB, and you really do great work down there, and I appreciate your, your help uh, with the people that need it and also with us here on the air. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Hal. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen joins us every Friday between 2.30 and 3, drcyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. After a break, in about 10 minutes here, we're going to talk about the Demi Lovato situation. I really like her, and of course, this overdose has been in the news, it's been talked about a lot. I want to talk a bit about that with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, and we will also get into the psychology of hoarding disorder and approaches for treatment, but let's start with virtual reality therapy and how it can help people overcome their fear of heights. I find this really interesting, uh, Cyrus. First of all, by the way, hello. How hello. Are you? How was your week? Oh, it was good. It good. was a good week. Excellent. I yes. actually took yesterday off. Nice. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I haven't nice. taken a day off in a long wow. time. So, so you should have taken today too, and then you would have had a nice long weekend and another long weekend. You know what I, and... you know what I ended up doing with my day off? I was mm-hmm. like, uh, I redecorated one of our offices. So there oh. you go. I don't well, know. Well, that's not really a day <laughs> off. That doesn't count. Hey, but I do find it interesting, you know, as this technology develops and virtual reality gets better and better. Sure. Why wouldn't you use it to help people with their fear of heights? Because mm-hmm. if you've have you ever tried real good virtual reality? You know, I haven't. I've been looking at this, though, for it's a while. Crazy. And... 
Um, I'm. It feels like uh, this research is coming out about virtual reality. If anybody has any information on this, I'd love to hear it. Because I, I, I like to be up to date. I like yeah. to kind of stay on top of things or even stay ahead of the trends a little bit. And I have to say, this is one of those things where I've been like, where do I buy this stuff? You know, like, yeah. how do I get this stuff in my clinic? And it's hard to find, um, you know, a program that actually walks people through this. And like like all tech research, by the time they usually come out on the... There's new stuff. There's new stuff. Yeah. You know, it, and the, and the, it changes so fast. I think that's actually, part of the problem. When you see the actual examples yeah. of the VR they use in some of this research, it's actually yeah. really like boxy and yeah. awful. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's going to be challenging for practitioners to actually get their hands on this stuff. But it's amazing right. that you can use something virtual to actually um, give people an experience that would uh, help them to overcome their fears. I think it's incredible. Because I think they have the ability to face their fears, in a right. sense, mm-hmm. virtually anyhow. Right. But they know it's not real. Right. So there's some safety to that, right? You know, like in um, in like phobia re- uh, treatment and things like that, we actually use people's imaginations a quite a bit uh, in order to overcome. And some people's imaginations are so powerful that they're able to actually produce a fear response just wow. imagining the thing that they're afraid of. I mean, if you think about somebody who's afraid of clowns and they think about a clown or you mention clown to them, even if you say the word, they'll actually have an anxiety response. Mm-hmm. And that's actually helpful because you can start by exposing them to that as their way of kind of before you actually bring a clown into the room. And, um, but it actually gets harder in therapy when you get to the real stuff. It's like, okay, we've done the imagination. You know, you've imagined yourself in a plane. You've imagined yourself flying. You've even imagined yourself in a crash. You know, like you've imagined all these horrible things and you're now kind of getting bored with that. Okay, so let's move on to the real thing. Well, plane tickets are expensive and yeah. I can't go with you to the airport. Where do you get a python? Yeah, you know, a plane ticket's expensive enough, never yeah. mind taking Cyrus along. You know, right. so uh, these things become kind of hard to reach out and actually take a hold of in yeah. um, from therapy or if you're afraid of a, a train or afraid of snakes or mm-hmm. things like this. Like I don't have a room full of snakes in my, in mm-hmm. my therapy office just to kind of give to people to work with. Yeah. So that's where this VR uh, can actually come in handy because... And you might say, well, isn't that just the same as imagination? It's show it's showing that uh, virtual reality exposure is just as powerful as what we'd call in vivo, which would be actually being there. So yeah. actually having the VR plane experience would be the same as flying on a plane in terms of your treatment response, yeah. which is what we're really interested in. Mm-hmm. And, and I can see where it, it really does feel incredibly real. Like mm-hmm. it really, yep. at first you're kind of like, well, it's not. But then after a little while, you're like, wow, this is real, but it's yeah. not, you know, you're, it's yeah. almost tricking your mind kind of. And I mean, if people can overcome their fears through their imagination, you would, then it becomes a little bit easier to accept that maybe VR would take them that one step further and uh, I think it could be very helpful for people, you know, um, with some of these things that are harder to access or are actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes uh, somewhat risky, you know, or or things like this. So I'm actually having trouble thinking of an example of that. Um, but sometimes people do have to do things uh, for their jobs or things like that, that they have to manage a crisis situation or things like that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you want to be able to practice without necessarily going through the real thing. So uh, those kinds of things could also be helpful. Um Again, if it was just a little bit more accessible to practitioners, I think that this would probably be, uh, you know, a really cool thing for everybody. Yeah. And where do these, we've talked about irrational fears. Yeah. Where do these irrational fears come from? For example, mm-hmm. that you're definitely afraid of a snake. Right. Is it because they've had a bad experience with a snake? Yes, maybe, but not always, right? That's right. I mean, uh, it definitely could be. It's hard to say. I wish I actually knew the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so many things in psychology, there's some mystery, but... Um, one thing that is interesting is uh, if you have a phobia, if you have one of these, it's linked with other anxieties and other mental health problems. So mm. 
if somebody comes in and they're like, you know, I'm deathly afraid of planes or something like that, it's not a far stretch for me to be asking about, well, what other, have you ever been depressed? Do you have a generalized anxiety issue? Have mm -hmm. you ever had trauma? Things like this. And um, because it makes you more susceptible, I think, to kind of having that specific fear. So it, a specific fear that's really significant probably is going along with somebody who is a little bit more vulnerable to anxiety overall, maybe a little bit more vulnerable to other mental health problems. And so that gives us a piece of the answer on where maybe this came from. It comes from where all these mental health problems are coming from, a little bit of a genetic issue probably, and of course, you know, early experiences can really play a role. Mission Impossible Fallout. New in theaters this weekend. You like these movies, eh, I Jeff love Brown? these movies. Yeah, I do too. MI6. Yeah, and they've been, they don't, not a straight line up getting better as they go along, but there's been no drop off. No, no, no. And is Tom Cruise the reason these are so good and so popular? Absolutely. Because he, because it sounds cliche, but he does his own stunts. Yeah. And you can tell they get way cooler shots than that. He learned how to fly a helicopter for I this know. movie. Like, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. But he's 56. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't need to prove anything he anymore. He doesn't need to prove anything anymore. And I hope that they do sort of put a period at the end of it before. They have to, you know right. what I mean? Before he's in his yeah, 80s and he's hobbling well, along. Die Hard 5 was not a yeah. good thing. Bruce Willis was just a fat old man trying, trying him trying to run in that movie was embarrassing. And yeah. they're probably making a sixth Die Hard. So yeah. we'll he's see. 56, and I mean, he's older than I am, and you see me hobble around here, <laughs> Jeff Braun. I mean, it's embarrassing. He is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the first one last night. Did you? And it was weird. I hadn't seen that in like a decade. Yeah. And now in that decade, now I'm older I'm older now right. than he was in that one. Right. And that's a different viewing experience. I was like, oh, he's a young man in this. This yeah. is so weird. I heard you with Mac Liam and Gary this morning talking about this and you said, Yeah, I, I watched that one last night and it still holds up. It's still that's a it's a different it's not like now it's all action boom boom explosion. That was more mm. like a real spy espionage yeah. movie and plot and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I don't know how uh, uh, we at my house got hooked into these movies, but we really liked them. I'm not a Tom Cruise guy, so for me, it's not really oh, about really? Tom Cruise. They're just great movies, and yeah. Tom's fine in it. Like, there, I have no complaints about Tom Cruise. But uh, now I know that in the movie they use the take where he's jumping from one building to another, and he broke his ankle. He actually yeah. broke his ankle. They use that. I know in the trailer. Did they use that take in the movie too? I, I'm pretty sure I they think did. So. Yeah, yeah. They'd be foolish not to. Yeah. yeah, crazy, eh? Yeah, and it looks it looks like he should have also broken some ribs in that shot. Yeah, it's, it's, nuts. It, it's nuts. He really is. Uh, he really is truly amazing. So this will be the number one movie on the weekend, no question. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. I'm going. I'm hoping to go Sunday. We'll yeah. see. I think they said something like, "I'm going to the lake, so I won't be uh, watching it this weekend. We'll probably get it one night next week." But I think they said sixty or sixty-five yeah, million in the for 60s, this one, which would be the tops because I think the second one had fifty something million yeah. or whatever it was yeah. number one. So, yeah. Well, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but I had Guy Madden on my show a while back, right? And he said these are his. Favorite movies, Winnipeg's Guy Madden, yeah. the guy who makes the crazy kooky films, or at least I find them kind of crazy kooky, most of them. They're artistic. They are artistic, yes. But he said, yeah, and I think his favorite of all the Mission Impossible movies was number four. Was that Ghost Protocol? That's Ghost Protocol. That's, that was his favorite. Yeah, they sort of reinvented the series there. That's a lot of people's favorite. It's probably my second favorite, or maybe a lot of days it's my favorite, mm -hmm. too. That's one where he's the scene where the giant skyscraper in Dubai that he climbs on the outside of. Yeah. I saw that in IMAX when it came out. I almost threw up because yeah. it was like, wow. Or the one where he's hanging by his fingertips on that plane as it's taking off. That's the last one. Rogation. That was the last one. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't keep track. There's too many of them. <laughs> That's they always give you something you've never seen before, and Absolutely. it's rare for a movie to do that. Yeah, and you made a good point this morning talking to Macleod McGarry uh, when you were talking movies. Uh, a lot of times when they do sequels, maybe you get two, maybe three. Yeah, but this is really kind of unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, I mean the Fast and Furious. People are doing it, yeah. and a couple of other franchises have tried it. But yeah, to just go deep like this, it's mm-hmm. it's insane. Unless it's you know, well, well, James Bond and Harry Potter both are based on books that went right. deep like that. So yeah, yeah, this is really weird to go yeah. this deep and to keep the quality. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if you watch it on uh, Sunday, you got to tell me about it on Monday. Okay. Absolutely.